Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Eric. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. It's a new year You're today. Good. Yeah. Uh, not just this day. It's It's been a new year for a little while, but it is a new year. And uh, in, in past podcasts, you've described an annual family stewardship checklist, which I loved that conversation. I, I love the concept. And today you really want to talk about one of those items on the checklist, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I thought we'd talk about uh, uh, the, the purpose of the, of the stewardship checklist, mm -hmm. which is about tasks that, that everyone should be reviewing annually. So I, I just like the idea of putting certain tasks into uh, my monthly calendar as a reminder of, of what needs to be done. Because if I don't put it in my calendar, it often doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So so I put it into my electronic calendar and, and then I'm less like, likely to forget or ignore these things that I want to do. And I always think that the new year is a good time to review those checklists and, and make any adjustments to tasks or to, to the timing of these tasks. Yeah. And like I said, I remember you talking about it. I remember the podcast. I don't remember which number it was. Do you happen to remember so listeners can go back and check it out? Yeah, it was uh, episode 29, uh, Becoming a Good Steward of Your Finances with a Checklist. You see, that's why you're the numbers guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, uh, this ch actual checklist is, is also on um, my website, raskinplanning.com, and it's, it's under the resources tab. So if people want to okay. take a look at it, you know, so, um, I, and I just, uh, you know, excuse the, the sports analogy, but, but I think of, of this checklist and, and a lot of checklists are, are, are kind of like the, the blocking and tackling of financial planning, hmm. you know, just like, like, like blocking and tackling in, in, from a football perspective. These are, are the basic things that we just need to work on all the time in order to really make sure we're meeting our objectives. All right. So to, to follow with that, you're saying that this activity is about making sure others are okay after we pass. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is all about th this, this topic is about um, what happens to assets when we die. Okay. So it's not the most uplifting conversation, but I think it's vitally important. And I hope today's conversation will, will d help our listeners understand why I think it's so important. So, so I thought we'd start off with just talking about some of the basics of, okay. uh, 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 from a planning standpoint. So, so when we die, our assets are going to pass to someone else based on um, how we own that asset. So, so let me explain. Um, I can own an asset as an individual, like a bank or an investment account or, or a house, without a beneficiary designation. So if there's no beneficiary designation on the account, uh, the, the, the asset's going to pass to others based on my will or by the state laws. And the state laws are, are, are meaning the, the state I live in, mm -hmm. um, that I'm a, a full-time resident of. So the, the estate, the asset will go through the estate probate process uh, to make sure that assets transferred to the person designated in my will 
or if there isn't a will, the state's going to determine who gets what. And it's usually the next of kin. Um, so it's just an important thing to understand. If you don't have a will, it's, it's there, there is a, a, a method and it's going to go by the state law. Uh, I also can own assets jointly with someone else, like my spouse. So we can each own half of the asset. And, and at my death, my 50% uh, would pass to my heirs according to my will. Or we can own the asset jointly with rights of survivorship. And that means my 50% would pass automatically to my spouse without going through probate. Okay. So what checklist items are we working on today? So it's one of the most important ones from, from that family stewardship perspective. And, and it's vital that we review our beneficiary and ownership designations on all of our asset accounts, our bank accounts, our investments, our property, our retirement accounts, like 401ks and IRAs and annuities, our life insurance, and, and, and also look a little deeply at the trusts that, that have been established, if we have trusts, uh, to make sure that we understand what those, what, what those beneficiary designations are. So we want to make sure our assets flow to the right person or to the right trust or to the right charity based on our current situation and, and our thinking at, at, the, at that time that we're reviewing it. Yeah. Well, Peter, you mentioned probate a little bit ago, and I've, I've learned from you, probate is not a good thing, right? And, and it should probably be avoided, if I remember right. So isn't joint with rights of survivorship the easy and best ownership option? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds good to avoid probate and have the asset passed to someone I wanted to. Yeah, I think prop, a probate can be a problem. The biggest problems that I see is that there are time delays, uh, that, that, that you have to work through when you're going through this pro, probate process. There's, there's also a lack of privacy because probate is, is in the public record. Uh, there's additional administrative and legal costs. And, and if it possible, you know, if possible, probate should be avoided. Mm -hmm. um, however, there may be good tax and estate planning reasons um, to actually probate assets. Uh, so we, we, we don't have the time today to go into all those details, but the, the bottom line is, is that uh, we don't always want assets to automatically go to the surviving spouse. It's a, it's a good option, but we want to make sure we're doing it correctly. Uh, another way for assets to pass at our death is by beneficiary designation. So we, so we can add beneficiaries to an investment account or a bank account through an ownership designation called transfer on death, or you know, we shorten that, that to TOD, transfer on death. So we can actually name an individual or individuals, or we can name a trust as a beneficiary on an, on an investment account. Uh, and by doing this, we can, avoid, we can also avoid probate and transfer the asset where we want it to go. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I would say you know, most beneficiary designations allow the account holder to name uh, a primary beneficiary as well as a contingent beneficiary. And, and some people are unfamiliar with those terms. I'd say most people understand them, but, but the primary beneficiary is, the, is that class of beneficiary chosen first, meaning if the primary beneficiary is alive when the account holder dies, that primary beneficiary becomes a new owner of that asset. If the, if the primary beneficiary dies prior to the account holder, 
that's when the contingent or the secondary beneficiary becomes the new beneficiary. So it's just an important distinction between primary and, and, and contingent or secondary that people need to understand. Okay. Um, I, I thought it would be helpful to just give an example of that. And this can get complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so just as an example, Jim is single. He has a million dollars in an investment account. And he wants his sister, Jane, to inherit this account at his death. If Jane dies before Jim, he wants the $500,000 split between his two adult nieces, Sally and Sarah. So Sally and Sarah are Jane's kids. The, the transfer on death or TOD designation can help Jim meet these objectives. Jane's the primary beneficiary. Uh, but if she predeceases Jim, the nieces are, will, will be, are, are, the, are the contingent beneficiary. Okay. So that's simple. It's pretty standard. But let, it, let's, if we change the facts a little bit, it, you can see it, it gets a little complicated. So Jim's nieces are teenagers. And in his opinion, maybe a bit immature right now. Uh, and he wants them to grow up before they've completed, you know, they, before they have complete access to any sort of substantial inheritance. So, so he wants to distribute half of each of the, their inheritances at age 30 and the remaining ha- uh, amount at age 35. So Jim dies, the nieces become the primary beneficiary because Jane has passed away mm-hmm. and he wants those, the kids to get it at 30 and 35, get the assets at 30 and 35. So you can see how an outright distribution to the nieces via just a beneficiary designation doesn't meet Jim's objectives. Um, so the solution might be a trust. Okay. So, so he can name a trust that will hold and manage those funds until the youngest is 35. And then an independent trustee can manage the funds and distribute the cash to the nieces if they have any needs prior to you know, ages 30 and 35 when they're going to get distributions. So in this transfer on death designation, Jim might name Jane as the primary beneficiary and the trust as the contingent beneficiary. Okay. So, so I have a question. In your example, Jim's sister, Jane, has predeceased Jim. She died before him. Yep. But so has one of Jane's nieces, Sally, who had two children. Will Sally's kids receive Jim's inheritance? Or will it all go to Sarah? That's that's a great question. And here's where we get much more complicated. We're getting in the weeds here, but <laughs> yeah, we're getting in the just, weeds. Yeah. But I think it's important from a conceptual standpoint. So Sarah, Sarah and Sally have become the primary beneficiary when Jane, their mother, predeceases Jim. Mm-hmm. So if, if Jim uses what we'll call a standard beneficiary designation at Sally's death. Sarah will inherit 100% of Jim's million dollars and Sally's kids are going to be disinherited. Hmm. And that may not be the solution that Jim wants. Yeah. So if if Jim wants Sally's kids to inherit Sally's share of, of the inheritance, he'd have to stipulate a different kind of designation. Instead of that standard beneficiary designation, he'd, he'd need to use a per stirpes designation per stirpes stirpes s-t-i-r-p-e-s okay 
and it's Latin for by branch. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's it. So it's a way to think about it. So per stirpes means by, by branch, which means the beneficiary, the beneficiary and inheritance is going to be passed on to the next in line heir or heirs. So in this example, Sally's kids would inherit, inherit Sally's share of the million or $500,000. And Sarah would inherit $500,000. So gotcha. I think that meets Jim's objectives of, of, of keeping it within um, each family. Yeah. An, a, another option, another beneficiary designation option is called per capita, different than per stirpe. So per capita means by the heads. Okay. So getting <laughs> deeper into those weeds, uh, it means the beneficiary and inheritance would be divided evenly amongst any surviving beneficiaries. So if you can follow me, following mm -hmm. the bouncing ball, uh, in this example, Sally's kids replace Sally as a beneficiary, in effect. And Jim's inheritance would be split bet equally between Sarah and Sally's two kids. Mm. So now Sarah and Sally's two kids each receive a third of Jim's million dollars. Hmm. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. I, most times I don't find the per, per capita designation is, is appropriate, but I, I think, you know, you're going to see it on forms. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a beneficiary form, it may discuss per capita and per stirpes. And that's why I mentioned that. I, th yeah. I just think it's good to know. Yeah, no, it's absolutely good to know. I just, I just think of all the, you know, the possibilities of what could happen. And, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there that if, you know, if Jim passes away and let's say, um, Sally is the older of the two nieces and she's had two kids and, and Sarah hasn't had children yet, but she wants to, if all of a sudden that money's split in thirds, Sarah and her extended family and future children basically got ripped off, right? Or they, they don't get the inheritance that Jim actually designated originally for her. Right. Um, that, that's just my opinion. I think that would cause a lot of family strife. So I can see why it's not chosen very often. And, and, and taking this a little bit further, I would think that Jim, especially depending on the ages, right? Jim might want to have Sally's kids share the inheritance held in trust, right? Because you talked about having in trust until their age of majority, or maybe until they're a little older and make better decisions. I mean, that, that, that would be my assumption. Yeah. And that's why I think um, trusts are such an important tool. You know, they, 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 even in simple situations, they can make a lot of sense. You know, in many cases, the, the beneficiary designations are obvious. You know, for example, a spouse is a primary and then children as contingent. But as you said, what about those? What if the kids are underage? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there might be a custodian controlling the account until the kids, the, those underage kids become uh, of majority, like 18 or 21, depending upon your state that you, that you live in. Does Jim, as the account owner, really want their, you know, that an 18 year, 18 year old or a 21 year old or, or maybe even a 25 year old to come into a big inheritance? Mm. You know, a lot of kids just aren't they're just not responsible and ready for it. Yeah. And, and is that fair to the young person? You know, mm -hmm. Maybe they're perfectly capable, but you know, I, I think that's a consideration. Uh, and then how about an adult with that has special needs or, or, or it's a child with substance abuse, abuse issues mm. or, or a child that, that really isn't a bad marriage. You know, do you really want them to receive 
significant assets, which could be part of any uh, divorce agreement. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so these are all reasons why I, I think it's important to review beneficiary designations and to be thoughtful about them. Trusts offer a, a, a person a bit more control and flexibility when it comes to passing on assets. And I think they're an important part of planning. And that's why I mention it mm-hmm. as part of this overall discussion. All right. Well, I've, I've got kind of a two-part question and, and, and maybe you'll address this here in a second, but I know IRAs, 401ks, you know, most, most people have one of those, one or two, or if not both, um, and they have beneficiary designations, if I'm not mistaken. So that, that's my first question. Don't they have beneficiary designations? Yes. And then secondly, is it possible to put those into a trust or is it, I mean, if somebody's working and they're con- still contributing to their 401k and they pass away, I mean, obviously that's not in a trust, I would assume, or is there a way to do that? Yeah, great, great question. Yes, you can certainly name a trust as a beneficiary of a retirement account, like a, an, an okay. IRA or 401k. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's important to review those in light of uh, tax changes or tax mm-hmm. law. Uh, it's important to review those based upon the objectives. And it may not be the best choice right today because of, of, of recent tax legislation. Uh, sometimes we, we do want to name individuals, but if they're underage, we may want to uh, make sure that our trusts speak to that. Yeah. So very important. Um, you do want to look at all the retirement account best designations, as well as life insurance and annuity contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just all of this needs to come into the overall discussion. Got it. All right. Well, Peter, here, here's here's my thought as you go through these and you rattle a lot of these things off. You don't have to have the same beneficiary for everything. And I would assume that keeping track of all beneficiary designations for each account has got to be kind of taxing. It's got to be kind of tough for people. Um, do you find that it's overwhelming for, for folks? Yeah. It's, it's, frankly, it's a lot of work, um, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you have lots of different accounts, uh, bank accounts, investment, retirement accounts. If you have a lot of insurances, it's a lot of work. Um, and, and so, that that increases the complexity, and and that's one reason we often suggesting we often suggest that that accounts get consolidated wh- wherever it's practical, um, and, and part of our process includes confirming ownership and ben- beneficiary designations, and, and we do this as part of our plan. We put together a summary of ownership and beneficiaries uh, for each account, and then we review these as part of uh, of our client annual review. And, and we provide a, a summary of the estate planning documents, which also reminds our clients about their estate planning intentions and you know who the beneficiaries are of, are, are of certain trusts and wills. And I think it just helps coordinate um, the cl- client's current situation uh, with their actual wants and desires. And then also we need to coordinate all this with the with the client's estate planning documents mm-hmm. and, and then and then their estate planning attorney. So it, it just becomes a real important but but time consuming process that I don't find everyone wants to do on a regular basis because yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah. So so I thought it would be helpful to maybe go through a couple of examples. Of, of why the, this conversation can be so important. At least it's a conversation to have each and every year. And that's what we do. A, a new client 
uh, has has that that's come to us recently. It, and, and they came to us with with five separate transfer on death accounts. Mm. Each one was only worth about a ten about ten thousand dollars, and and this is money that they expect will help pay the grant their grandchild's college education. So, so they've got five grandkids, okay. and, and they named a, a different grandchild the beneficiary of each each account in case our client dies prior to, to being able to help the grandchild with education. They didn't want to make the grandchildren, the, the grandchild or, or their grandchild's parent, the owner of the account, because they didn't want this counting against the, fa- the, the that family for financial aid purposes. Mm. So, well, well, it met the client's objective. It also caused a problem. So, so the problem, to, in my opinion, is, you know, what happens if the client dies before the child goes to college? This 10000 is going to transfer to the child directly, which means that, 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 that this is going to affect their 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 college financial age f- financial financial aid okay and, and what happens if the if the kid doesn't go to college <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and my 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 client just didn't didn't want the child to receive $10,000 and 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 not use the funds for that purpose they didn't want them to go buy a car they wanted it to be used for college so so the child the $10,000 in the child's name is going to is going to count against financial aid it's going to give the child more money than they wanted at that point in time and then i reviewed my client's wills and the trust and and the client could solve this problem just using their existing trust so instead of naming the child as the beneficiary of the account they could just name the the, the their trust as the beneficiary okay and then, then the, the their child would. They've got two kids, and each kid, each child would then receive fifty percent of the overall estate, and there'd be plenty of funds there for that child to uh, to have to spend on that that grandchild's education. Okay. And this would also be beneficial from a financial aid purpose because money's left in the in the parent's name. Is 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 counted less than if money were left in the child's name. Got it. Okay, so I, I thought that was a, a better solution. Um, so we just we 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 had the the client's trust as the beneficiary, and that seemed to solve that problem. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's just one example of just doing a review and saying, "Hey, this doesn't seem right." Um, and here's another example, and I thought this was also is, is helpful. Existing client, they've got a really a very large and significant IRA that um, that she inherited from her deceased husband, and her trust is the current beneficiary of this IRA account. Um, and she also has other assets that are non-retirement, and they're they're owned by the trust, and therefore at her death, the asset stays in the trust. And, and, and together, we were re- recently reviewing the beneficiaries of the trust. And it appeared to me that it might be more efficient to name her nieces and nephews individually and directly as beneficiaries of her IRA instead of having the assets flow through the trust. That's what she wanted. And I spoke to the attorney and he agreed. It just Based on current tax law, it didn't make sense to have it go through the trust. At the same time as we're reviewing that, the client decided and wanted to change the, the, the designations for that trust. She had named a couple of specific charities and wanted to eliminate them. 
she didn't want to she didn't want to make any more gifts to that charity. She'd okay. already given enough and, and it, it just wasn't appropriate anymore. So she wanted to get more specific about the contingent beneficiaries and and, and what happens if one of the her primary beneficiaries passed before others who would receive it, w- what families would receive it. Uh, and this was all going to be done in the trust as well as through the IRA beneficiary. So I think you could see how that just an annual review led to what I would call a meaningful discussion and changes that met her current objectives. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen situations where client objectives were not met because these types of issues weren't resolved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, it's true. And I'm working right now with, we're with a, a client whose son never engaged us to do any planning. He, he, we, he had some small accounts with us, but never did any planning with us. Mm-hmm. And he was a part owner in the, in the, in the family business and, and in commercial real estate that the family owned. Uh, and the, the son's wife had died a couple of years ago and the son died recently this year. And mm. um, which is, it was tragic. Yeah. Uh, he left a son and didn't have any wills or trusts. So he didn't have a will or trust. Mm. So everything is now left to my client's grandson, who's in his mid twenties. And, and and he's he's struggling. He's got some substance abuse issues. He's got mental health issues, and, and, and he's gonna be, he's left about a million dollars of assets. Wow! And, and he's really struggling with that with that responsibility, uh, and it's really painful for for my client, the, the grandparent who's looking at this, you know, adores his, her grandson, but this has just not worked out like they wanted it to. So, you know, lack of planning, res, the, the results that were, were, were not hoped for. Yeah. That's, it's, you know, it's like watching a train wreck that just, I mean, you have no control and it's, yeah. it, that that's a very, very sad situation. And so, I mean, it, Again, I've, I know you well enough. I think you'll agree with this, that thoughtful, deliberate, and annual planning, it's got to be the solution. I mean, I really liked your blo- blocking and tackling analogy. Um, and I know these are kind of financial planning basics, but these really seem to make a huge difference in people's lives. It, it, I think so. You know, it, it, you know, engaging a planner, a financial planner, to ask the right questions at the appropriate time. I think just helps a family stay focused on, on their journey. And, you know, the planners are that, that guide that's going to help that family arrive at the destination. And, and, and this is something that isn't just done once. It's just done on a regular basis because life is full of, of changes. And, you know, uh, you know, the, the map gets changed along the way and the destination yeah. gets changed and we just have to make adjustments. And the, the, the planner is often, I think, a, 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 the appropriate person to kind of bring it back to, to uh, the, that, the objectives and help, help steer that client toward in, in the right direction. Yeah. I, I think that you're an amazing accountability partner and that's really what a lot of people need, even though they may not like to hear everything you have to say every time you're the voice of reason. You're the one that says I'm, I'm going based off what we've planned for. 
and these are some of the best options for you. And, and yeah. maybe this isn't a good option. Um, but I, I like the fact that you're that accountability partner. You're that voice, whether they choose to like it or not. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a powerful place to be. And that's a, a fantastic part of the role that you play. I, th- I, I, I agree. All right. Well, Peter, thank you so much. This is a great way to kick off the new year. And uh, I appreciate all the time that you spend with me and, and educating me on this stuff. My pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Always fun talking to you. So thank you. Well, I want other people to talk to you too. So how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to, you know, maybe, maybe they haven't had an annual review with you. Maybe they're with another planner and they want a second opinion. I would love for them to reach out and just say, Hey, am I on track? How do they get a hold of you, Peter? Yeah, I think probably the best way to do it is through, through our website, go to uh, raskinplanning.com. Uh, there's lots of resources there. We've got all of our podcasts. Uh, by the time this one is published, we're, I think we're probably 73, 74 episodes. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of information, a lot of things that people can listen to, but also a couple of white papers that might be helpful. So uh, please go to, go to the website and you can reach, reach out to us from there. All right. Perfect. Thank you again, Peter. And of course, thank you to the listener. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors, securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC, investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor, insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.